morning church good morning i just had to take my last sip of coffee hopefully you guys are ready to go and 
had your second or third cup. It's great. Some mornings are like that. We need that. But praise the Lord. Thanks for being here this morning. Uh, Trinity, um, this is a place where we gather to learn, to grow, and to serve. That's how we pursue being followers of Jesus. The Bible calls that disciples. Uh, and a big part of being a follower of Jesus, being a, a Christian, is to worship. And worship simply is this, church. It's our response to God's goodness towards us. It is our response to him being our God and him being a good God who blesses his children. And so he calls us to be worshipers uh, in, uh, in the Gospel of Luke. We see this great interaction between Jesus and the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and he tells her that there will be a day, and he says now is the day when he was there, that worshipers would worship God in spirit and in truth. And we can do that anywhere because as believers we have the Holy Spirit within us, amen? But yet it's good and it's special to gather together. Uh, It's biblical to get together and to worship God corporately. And so hopefully this is a good way for you to start your week on the, uh, the first day and the first morning of the week. And so we say welcome. And uh, welcome to everybody that's joining us online. Just a good reminder, if you're ever maybe not feeling well or you're traveling and you want to join us, you can just go to our website, trinityallenwood.com, and, and uh, you can uh, live stream the services as well. And all of our past services are up there as well under sermons, and so you can check it out. Um, what I like to do is enter into our time of worship through reading from God's Word as sort of a call into worship uh, to help settle our minds and uh, our hearts to get into that place where we are reminded that uh, we are in the presence of a holy and righteous God, and uh, we can do that because of Jesus, and so for that we're eternally grateful. But I'd like to read to you actually from uh, selected passages from chapter 6 of Second Samuel, which is of course back in the Old Testament, and here is part of the story of the Ark of the Covenant being brought into the holy city of Jerusalem. And just listen to these words, and you'll kind of get a picture of uh, David and the people of Israel worshiping the Lord because they were in God's presence. So listen to these words. Let this be our call to worship, and then we'll stand and sing songs of worship together. So from 2 Samuel chapter 6. King David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, about 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim of the ark. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets and harps and lyres and timbrels and sistrums and cymbals. And wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. You get the picture of what worship was looking like. 
King David was dancing. They were all singing and shouting praises to God with all kinds of musical instruments. Why? Because the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Lord, was entering into their city. It is simply the presence of God that they were praising him for and that they were looking forward to. So church, we are in the presence of God. We are told that we can come before the grace-filled throne of God we get to do that as his children, amen? So why don't we stand together, let me pray us into worship and keep those beautiful words in mind that we can worship the Lord. We can worship the Lord because we have the freedom to do so and we are in his presence. Father God, thank you. Thank you so much, not only for the things that you do for us, a gracious and good God, a generous God, but even more so, Father, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you that because of Jesus, we can pray to you, a holy and perfect God, that because of Jesus, we have been restored in our relationship to you. And because of Jesus, we can now worship and honor you. So Father God, we do pray that you get all the glory and all the honor and praise. We thank you that we can be in your midst. We thank you that you are in our midst always the person of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us during this time of worship, for this is all for you. We pray these things, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So church, let's worship the Lord together. Oh, by my side, the Savior, he will stay. 
So we pour out our prayers. 
Lord, hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Father, you're good. Hallelujah. You are good and worthy to be praised. Father, we love you and we adore you. You are holy and you are mighty. You are awesome. We give you all the praise in this place this morning. Amen and amen. Say good morning to somebody next to you. Uh, let's start making our way back to our seats. It's good to say good morning, right? To greet one another in the name of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> so good to see all of you. Again, thanks for joining us. Those who have just come in, uh, praise the Lord for a good time of worship, powerful worship, hallelujah, for words that, uh, that are true, true about God, true about us, and encourage us, right? And this morning, um, I do believe that the message we have from God's word 
uh, is, uh, is one that's full of encouragement and full of hope. And we always want to, to glean that from the scriptures, right, no matter what the topic. But I think this morning especially will be that. Just the things that, a few things to get caught up on in what we call church life. We learn, we grow, and we serve together here at Trinity. We use these words a lot. These are our core values. And uh, we do that by uh, pursuing Jesus, becoming more like him. And so we learn the truth, and then we grow in our faith and our trust in him, and then we serve, and we serve each other, and we serve the world around us. Uh, last Wednesday, we had our first Wednesday night service at the Allenwood Church. It went really well. We had a lot of people there, and it was, uh, I think, a great blessing. It's a bit of a different format, but just wanted to remind you, I would encourage you to come and check it out, even if it's something you're not sure if you can commit to every week. We'd love for you to do that, and uh, and uh, participate because the, the whole second half of the service is interactive. We talk, we ask questions, we kind of debrief and, and talk through the, um, the, the subject matter. And so myself and Pastor Dave and then Pastor Mike, we record our podcast in the first half and talking through the challenge that we took that week to live out the word of God. And, uh, and then we kind of talk about it. And so there is kids ministry available and then we have our prayer gathering right afterwards. And so we had a lot more people from uh, all three churches staying to pray, which was awesome. And so we pray for each other, we pray for our churches and for things going on in the world. And so just want to remind you of that. That is uh, still Wednesday night, 6.30 to 7.30, followed by prayer at um, the Allenwood Church right down the road. Uh, so we've been announcing this as well. So we have, uh, uh, I think we have at least 15 people going from our church today for our outreach. Right after service, we will gather uh, get our stuff ready to head down there to travel down to Delaware, right outside of the, uh, right near the Sunday breakfast mission, the mission to people, men struggling with homelessness down there, and and so uh, we will meet men and women and children and and um, be able to hand out our uh, blessing bags and coats and scarves and hats, everything we've been collecting for the winter, and then hopefully as we meet some practical immediate needs that we. Uh, enter into some conversations, those divine appointments we've been praying for, right? To share the love of Jesus and uh, to proclaim the gospel, right? And because people everywhere need hope, amen? And even if they don't realize it, they need hope. And Jesus is the only hope for this world. And so we're going there to be ambassadors of hope for people and uh, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So if you're not going with us, please pray for us. Think of us often this afternoon as you head home or do your thing. Just pray for us that we get there and back safely and that we get to meet a lot of people and bless people and honor God in doing so. Uh, if you'd like, if you're going to hang out for a little bit after service for fellowship, please stay and pray with us. Even if you're not going, you can pray with us. As a team, we always pray before we head, head out. And so uh, feel free to stay and pray with our team as well. We would love that. Um, next week, we have communion. Uh, next week is uh, the first Sunday of the month, and so almost always on the first Sunday, we have communion as we remember the Lord's sacrifice. So that is um, next Sunday, and it's also our fellowship lunch. So be mindful of that as we all bring food uh, together just to share, and so be thinking about what you might want to bring, enough for yourself and some to share, but that is next Sunday. We'll have communion, of course, at the end of service, and then we follow that with our fellowship lunch. It's, it's uh, actually in the tradition of the ancient church. It's what they did. They had their big agape feast, and as a part of that, of celebrating their new life in Christ, they took time 
uh, to remember the Lord's sacrifice, to remember what it cost God through his son Jesus so that we could have freedom and new life in him. And so that's what we do. And we do that on the first Sunday of every month. And so that will be next Sunday. If you remember, a couple weeks after that on February 12th is our annual business meeting. And so everyone is welcome to attend because we do more than talk about uh, the budget, but uh, we will be talking about the budget as well. But we do we uh, will share a little bit more from the ministries and talk about uh, a little bit more detail, the vision for the, the future of the church, this, at least for this coming year. And so feel free to attend. Um, that is on February 12th. And please note also that our proposed budget is available for you to take. There's copies of it out on the Connection Center. So if you didn't grab one on the way in, on the way out, now you know what that's there for. That is the budget we are proposing for this coming year. And uh, all of uh, the voting members that will attend the meeting on the 12th get to vote on that. And uh, we kind of talk about that and answer some questions. And so if you're even just interested about how we do things here, please feel free to stay for the meeting. But make sure, especially if you're a voting member of Trinity, that you take one of those to review that. A couple of weeks to look over that before the meeting, all right? Uh, and we are continuing our series in First Peter, Second Peter. We did First Peter last year, and uh, then we took a break to go through our discipleship pathway. And uh, we are now in Second Peter. Speaking of the pathway, remember that we have these um, brochures, these pamphlets that describe the pathway that we are putting into action and into place this whole year. And uh, this is going to be the tool, I think, a, a very important tool that we will use going forward, the life here and the culture here at Trinity, to uh, help us stay on track of learning and growing and serving and being uh, growing followers of Jesus. And so this is really valuable. Make sure you have one and look through it often. All the information is also on our website to uh, help us and to help us help each other uh, be committed and growing followers of the Lord Jesus. We also have notebooks. Make sure you, you take uh, advantage of that. You can use those to uh, just take your notes in um, during service. And uh, daily breads. I think we got some new ones in uh, December through February. There might be some new ones actually coming out. Um, now that we're heading into February, but great opportunity. If you don't have a daily devotional, uh, um, some kind of resource that helps you get into the Word of God each and every day, this is a great way to start. They're just short, little, um, just uh, devotionals, kind of sharing about a particular scripture, give you some things to think about, and a prayer to help kind of jumpstart your prayer over that. But it's a good way that you can, even in a short amount of time, get into God's Word and connect with Him uh, each and every day. So take advantage of that as well. Uh, so again, we are in Second Peter, and you can open your Bibles uh, to Second Peter. We're still in chapter 1, just verses 3 and 4 today, but you can use the, the app on your phone, of course, or the, uh, the Bible that you bring. I encourage you to bring your Bibles on Sunday mornings. We go through uh, books of the Bible here, and uh, we... Uh, we regard that uh, very highly, and so I'd encourage you to have that. There should be Bibles there in front of you as well on the seatbacks. Um, but we are looking at just verses 3 and 4 of Second Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> so John Maxwell, a very a well-known um, believer who talks a lot about and writes a lot about leadership, sort of an expert on leadership, he shares this story 
uh, of a group of American tourists who were visiting England, and they were, at this moment, they were walking through a, a very quaint village, and they were just looking around in awe and wonderment of the, the history of the village, this small little village, um, but they were just enamored by the, the, the town's winding cobblestone streets, the beauty of its, of its courtyards and its plazas, uh, its intentional gardens, and the, just the real sense of history that was emanating from this quaint little English village and even the churches, the ancient churches that were in this village. So they had been to many of the big cities, but they were now in this small village. So while they were walking through the local park, the tourists um, struck up a conversation with an older gentleman, and they found out after talking to him for a while that he had uh, been in this town his entire life here in, in England. So one of the Americans, eager to learn more about the history of the town, he asked the older man, sir, have any great men ever been born in this village? And the English gentleman said, nope, only babies. That's my kind of humor. I, you just, you know, there's nothing like the British humor, right? And so we understand what it means for human growth. We understand that um, as babies, we, we grow and develop a certain way. And we all, whether we're parents or not, we understand what that looks like. Um, human growth and how we, we, our bodies and our minds grow with time. That we learn to eat and, 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 the, and to talk. We crawl, and then we walk, and then we run, and then parents forget it. It's a whole new world, right, when the kids start running. Um, you, uh, you develop knowledge and understanding. So I think we all, of course, understand what it looks like for human development and growth. And then kids grow, and then all of a sudden they go to school, right, and, and, and they're maturing. Well, the Bible describes the same thing for us as Christians in a spiritual sense. But yet, this very simple, this very simple concept of, of human growth often eludes us in the spiritual sense. And somehow, we just kind of often get into this mode that we think it's just going to happen automatically. All, maybe just by osmosis, because we have a few Bibles in our house and we go to church every week, so therefore, we must be growing and maturing as Christians. But see, the Bible tells us in many different ways, in many different places, that it takes being intentional to grow spiritually. But it's just like our physical growth, that we start young and frail and innocent and not knowing much, not being able to do much, but that we grow, and it does take time. But yet with spiritual growth, we see that it also takes intentionality. It's kind of like when a child begins school, right? Up to then, the parents are teaching, and they're, they're growing whether they like it or not. They're bigger and growing, right? And parents, you have to keep getting bigger clothes for your kids and more food in the house as they grow, right? But spiritually speaking, it's kind of like when a, a child goes off to school. Now it's really intentional. Now they've set aside a certain amount of hours in a day and 
taking different subjects that are important for them to learn. And they have various teachers who are experts and knowledgeable that are teaching them, right? They're practicing their skills, taking exams and and tests. You remember that feeling when you'd show up and the teacher would say pop quiz today and you just sank in your seat and you're like, why'd I even get up today? But see, spiritually speaking, it's just like that. It's like we are to be intentional. Now, as adults, we have to do that ourselves. The responsibility is on us to grow. But praise God, our passage today is so full of encouragement and hope because even though it is the believer's responsibility to learn, to grow, and to serve, God has given us all that we need, all the tools and resources and giftings we need to become mature believers in Christ and to live the victorious life in Jesus, amen? And so we're gonna see that unfold in just these two verses, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses three and four. We see that Peter is showing us just how we can grow and mature in our relationship with God. So before we read those two verses together, I just want to give you a quick overview because last week we began in earnest our uh, study of 2 Peter. And just as a, a quick overview, remember um, Peter wrote this. He wrote the first letter, the second letter. It's to basically the same group of people, those um, Christians, most of whom were were Hebrews, but now believers in the Lord Jesus in uh, the area of sort of northern uh, Turkey today, which is northern Turkey, and they were um, they were under great persecution for their faith, and it was getting worse, but he writes the first letter really regarding their persecution, but the second letter is addressing an, a, a different issue. Same group of people, the same writer, different issue, and it's really about beware of false teachers. But then he also talks a bit about the, the hope of the coming of Jesus Christ, the return of our Lord. But he really focuses in on this in just these, these short chapters here in this book of Second Peter, that there will be, there had been, but then there will continue to be false teachers in the church among Christians. And so he was warning them to look out for them. But before he does that, he does that in chapters two and three, but before he really does that, he wants to encourage his readers, hey, you have all that you need in Jesus Christ, right? To not give into the misleadings of false teachers and the temptations to follow things that are not true, to believe things that are not true from the Holy Scriptures. So that's sort of our basic overview uh, for today. And in, in chapter two, he says, there will be false teachers among you. Peter is saying that, and of course, that is true for us today. And so he kind of describes in chapters two and three what the false teachers look like and what they're teaching and, and, and uh, how to beware of them. But he starts off in chapter one, especially in our two verses today, verses three and four, reminding all believers that we have all that we need in order to live the victorious Christian life. And so that's what we wanna do. We wanna look at those verses today to be encouraged that as Peter describes the blessings that God has given us to every believer, that we can then grow to maturity. Now, it's our responsibility to put these tools and these resources into practice, to grow in them, 
but yet God has given us all that we need. Peter will go on to describe for us what a mature Christian looks like and even some of the difficulties and the blessings, but today we're simply going to look at this, God's provision for growth. Just like a parent provides all that a child needs to grow, the comfort, the protection, right? Everything that a child needs to grow, to grow big and strong, to mature. God, as our Heavenly Father, gives all what we need, his children, that we need to grow and mature in him. So we're going to read this now. This is, um, uh, this is our passage for today, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And then we're just going to highlight three things from these verses in our remaining time together today. All right, so 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4, here's what it says. Seeing that, he kind of starts from the verses previous, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world by lust. Those are our two verses for today. So Peter says, by way of just sort of introduction and overview, he says that we are partakers but in that original language, it says that we may become partakers. He means to grow. That we can continue to grow as participants in the divine nature of God. We're going to look at what that actually means for us. But to partake or to part participate in the divine nature simply means this, church. It means fellowship. It doesn't mean we become God or become God's our own. It simply means that we partake, we participate, we get to fellowship with God. Did God not say way back in Genesis, did he not say, let us make humans, let us not make mankind in our image? Male and female, he creates them. He says, let us make them in our image. God creates us to enjoy fellowship with him. We don't share, of course, all of the wonderful attributes of God. We're not all-knowing. We're not everywhere at all times. But yet we share in many of the attributes of God, the ones that he desires to share with us. And we get to love. And we get to um, fellowship with each other. God invites us in to fellowship with him. And so Peter is saying, we get to partake fellowship with God in this divine nature. We are now reconciled and reconnected to him, and so therefore we can grow. Peter is saying we can fellowship with a holy God in our new nature, spiritually renewed, reborn, born again. You remember when Jesus was saying that we need to be born again? I mean, it didn't make sense at the time, but he's explaining that there is a spiritual rebirth 
that we experience when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 4, to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. There's the old self, there's the new self. Our maturity and growth is all about putting on the new self and putting off the old self. In John 3, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is how we connect to a perfect, holy, and righteous God through our new nature, being renewed spiritually. Now, do we still sin? Yes, we do. We still sin, of course, because we have Scripturally speaking, a dual nature. We have this old self still until Christ comes back for us, until we meet him in heaven. But we have a new nature as well. It's how we are connected to a holy God through the blood of Jesus Christ. So we have an old nature and a new nature. And Paul tells us often that they are at war with each other. That's why we sometimes give in to the same sin over and over. That's why we do, like Paul says, we do the things we don't want to do. The things we don't want to do, those are the things that we do. But yet we are saved, and we are secure in our faith, but yet we are to grow. It's our responsibility to take all the tools and the gifts God has given us, put them into practice, and to grow so that we continually put off the old nature and embrace and live in the new nature. The Bible calls that old sinful nature the flesh. Galatians 5, 17 says it this way, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. See, there is this battle going on. It's that proverbial angel and devil in a way, right? On the shoulders type of thing. We have this dual nature within us, but we know that in Christ, right? In our spirit, our new self, as Paul calls it, we are made new in Christ. We are holy in God's eyes because of the blood of Christ that covers our sinful nature. But yet, with this dual nature, we are to continually yield to the Holy Spirit, say no to sin, to be more like Jesus, to put off that old self, to put on the new. But the question is then, how do we do that? That's the question for today. How do we simply grow? How do we yield to the Holy Spirit? That's really all spiritual growth is, church. You just yield to the Holy Spirit and not to your selfish desires. It's, it's a pretty simple concept and truth, but so difficult to actually live out, isn't it? But praise God for these two verses because Peter tells us, don't worry. God's given you everything that you need to fight this daily battle. So, If growth is simply yielding more to the new nature than the old nature, the question then is how do we grow? How can we yield to the Holy Spirit and live like the new creations that we are in Jesus Christ? These two verses give us three simple things. We grow through the power, the divine power that God gives us, knowledge, knowledge of him, and his promises. So we're going to see these words in these two verses. 
But these are the provisions that God gives us in order to grow spiritually, to become mature Christians. His power, his promises, and the knowledge of him. So first of all, before we look at those three, just briefly, notice that it says that he has granted us everything. You see that? Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything. But look at the words before that and after that. But just notice, I highlighted that word, everything. So Peter is saying, God didn't just give you like a little bit and you have to get the rest on your own. He's saying God has given you everything you need because God gave it to us, so it's not on our own power. His divine power has granted to us, that's all of us, everything, everything what? Pertaining to life and godliness. So everything that we need to grow spiritually is included in God's word and is given to us through his spirit as believers in him. Isn't that beautiful truth? Love that. Now, we might say, well, the Bible doesn't tell us everything we need to know. It doesn't tell us what decision to make about this job or who to marry or you know, what I should do today. No, but everything that we need to grow spiritually, everything that the Bible addresses that God chose to reveal to us has complete authority. The question is, are we willing to yield to that authority, to the power, to the knowledge and the promises of God? But it says, he has granted to us everything. We are rich in Christ and fully equipped to become mature believers. We don't have to ask God to give us what we need to grow. Think about that. God, just I wish, God, you could just give me what I need to grow, then I'll become mature. If you had that conversation with God, God would say, I already gave it to you. Have you read in my word that I revealed to you? I've already given you all that you need. We are to pray for strength to trust it. Do you see the difference? It might sound subtle, but it's really important. We need to pray that God gives us something he's already given us. We should pray, Lord, help me to trust that you've given me everything. Because you say that you have helped me to use this, help me to, to take full advantage of all the resources you have given me. We don't need to pray because we need more. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We have God's completed word. We have God himself. He has blessed us with salvation, with new life, with his word, his spirit, his power. What more do we need, church? We already have it. We just need to put it to use. He says pertaining to life and godliness. We have what we need, considering our spiritual life in Christ and how to become more like him. So we look at the power. First, three things, his power, knowledge of him, and then his promises. His power, simply not our own. We don't do this on our own. God has said, not only I'm giving you my son, Jesus, so that you can be saved from the penalty of your sin and have eternal life the way that I had wanted it to be originally. He gave us his son. He says, now I've given you all that you need to live this life I'm asking you to live. Think about it. Isn't that even logical from a, a God who is a God of order, but also a God of love? He's not going to ask us to do something that we are not able to do. And so he says, I want you to grow, to be more like my son Jesus. He says, be holy because I am holy. God, how do we do that? 
Don't worry about it. I'm going to give you all that you need. I've given you my son. You don't think I'm going to give you all that you need to grow and mature in the faith so you can trust him more? Acts 1 says it this way. So when they had come together, meaning the disciples, they were asking Jesus, uh, Lord, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but, Jesus says this to the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Then you'll be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. You see what Jesus is saying there? He's saying, I'm sending you out. I'm about to go back to the Father. I'm sending you out to, to do this, to work, to be on mission for me, but I'm also going to empower you to do it. Remember he told the disciples, don't leave yet. Stay here in Jerusalem. Wait for the gift we're giving you. Wait for the comforter. Because Jesus was not going to send his disciples out without him. He just spent all these years with them without empowering them to do what he's calling them to do. See? It's like at work, right? And if you're a supervisor, um, you understand that if you're going to ask your employees to do a job, to do a task, you have to give them the tools to actually do it, right? You have employees that are going to build a house for you, provide them the tools and all they need. You see, it's like Jesus is sending out the disciples. He says, don't worry. If I'm going to send you on a mission, I'm going to give you all that you need. And he told them, you're going to receive power. We're talking about power here. This divine power that it says has granted us everything that we need to grow up spiritually. Jesus says, you're going to receive that power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He has given us all that we need. He has given us the Holy Spirit within us. Do we, church, do we truly take full advantage of the blessing and gifting of the Holy Spirit within us? Are we willing to live with that power that he has put within us through the Holy Spirit? Are we still trying to just do, us, do this on our own? See, and it's not the power that we receive from the world or anything this world can offer. It's only and all through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. But don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. See, Jesus is saying in effect there, if you're gonna trust in the things the world has to offer, then go for it, but you're gonna be afraid, you're not gonna have peace and you're gonna fail. He's just like, I'm giving you peace, but it's not like a peace the world can give at all. The peace that only I can give. It's the same thing with power. He's like, you can try to do, live this Christian life on your own. Think about how silly it is in a way for us to say, yes, I can't save myself. I'm only saved by believing and trusting in what Jesus did for me. But then I got the rest, God. I'll take care of it on my own, thank you. I don't need the, the power, I don't need the giftings, I don't need the Bible, I don't need any of that. I'm good, I got it on my own. It's not like silly, it's illogical, but it's not how God has designed this. So we have received that power. By God's power, we have received all that we need. How about in the Great Commission, Matthew 28? Before Jesus says, go into all the world, right? He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus said that. He's got the disciples there. 
And he says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Now go. So what he says. He says, I have all the authority. You trust me? Yes, Jesus, we trust you. Now go. Because he is then giving them the authority to do what he has called them to do. God is not going to send them on a mission without giving them all that they need to be successful. It's the same with us. If our call is to simply be disciples, to learn, to grow, to serve, to be growing disciples who are making disciples by getting together with others and sharing the faith and growing in your your understanding of God and his word and trusting him more and more in every part of your life, if we are to do that, Jesus, thank you for the divine power that we have, that you have given us all that we need. Ephesians 1, Paul says it this way, right at the opening of his, of his letter to Ephesians, he says, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Do you see that it all comes from him? Ephesians 3, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Paul is all about that. So we grow in maturity, not by our own strength, but by his strength. As we are obedient to the Lord, we yield to the Holy Spirit within us. Then by his power, we overcome temptation. We grow more loving and trusting. We practice his righteousness And the light then of our testimony grows clearer and stronger in this world. So, that's the power. What about knowledge? Because then he says, through the true knowledge of him. So, he's grant by his divine power, he's granted us everything we need. But how do we get that? Well, the power we know we have the Holy Spirit. But he says, through the true knowledge of him. That's the the second sort of gift and blessing and tool we have to grow in maturity is knowing Jesus, knowing about him from his word, but getting to know him. Remember how Peter opened this letter? He opened it and he's gonna close the letter the same way, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. It's our theme verse for this year, taken from the end of this letter. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So get to know God more, get to know about him more. But see, it's not any kind of secret knowledge. Now remember in context, this is important, Peter is writing this letter because he's talking about false teachers, and at the time, if you remember I talked about, the the biggest and most um, prevalent false teaching was, was an early form of what became known as Gnosticism. Starts the letter G from gnosis, that Greek word for knowledge. So the Gnostics were semi-Christians, semi-Bible believers. They were uh, people who were saying, yes, we need God and his revelation to us, but there's also additional knowledge that only a few of us have. They called it a secret knowledge, a mystery knowledge, right? That you had to have if you were gonna be really a true Christian. And so this was this, this heresy, this false teaching that was rising up in the church. And, and so they were teaching that, okay, you need God and you need his word and these letters and the apostles teaching, but then you need this secret, mysterious knowledge as well. 
that didn't come from God or from his writings, do you see? And if you think about it, most of the, the false religions of that day and even of today have something similar. They might even say, yes, the Bible, but then we have these other writings, these other books that are on the same authoritative level as God's Bible, as God's word. We believe this also, because this is good, but it's not enough. We also have this. Do you see it's a false teaching? And that's what Peter was addressing. So he's like, we have the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is all that we need. All we need is Jesus. Just give me Jesus. There's not any additional knowledge that you need outside of what God has given us through his word, and the Holy Spirit within us is always going to point us back to a truth from Scripture or to Jesus. The Holy Spirit within us is not going to draw us away from what God has already revealed to us. There's no additional knowledge needed. There is no, and this is important, no additional revelation needed. We have the very word of God. What he has chosen to reveal to us, we have the Holy Spirit within us. So what is Peter saying? Get to know Jesus better. Grow in a closer relationship with him. It's like this. Let's say it's your, your spouse or your sibling or your parent. How do you know them? better than just about anybody else in the whole world. Very simply, you spend time with them. You have grown in an intimate relationship with them. You talk with them, you spend time with them, you get to know them. I mean, how is it that you know your spouse's favorite things, the things that nobody else knows about, the, the things, the intimate details, the, the, the things that they think about and desire and their, their, their true like inner heart. How do you know these things? Because you spend time with them and you talk with them and you're interested in learning about them. Is it not the same with us and our Heavenly Father? How are we going to know who God is, wh who we are in him and what he wants from us if we don't spend time with him? And he's revealed himself to us in his word. And he says, you can pray. He says, you should pray. We are to pray because we get to talk to God. We open his word, he talks to us. And we get to fellowship with each other. We say, how is God talking? Like, what verse did he give you today? And how is he working in your life? And we get encouraged and we learn by that, you see? We have to get to know God. So he's saying, we have, this is how we do it, through the true knowledge of him. See, he had to put that word true in because there was this heresy of a false knowledge, a Gnosticism, like a secret knowledge. So he says, know God, get to know him more. Get to know him more intimately and better. That is how we can become growing followers of Jesus Christ. Grow in our knowledge of God, so we can resist temptation, resist false teaching, and live the victorious life in him. But we gotta get to know him. There's no way around it. That is how it works. And then we have the promises. So we have the divine power he's given us. We have the knowledge of him, this ability to get to know him more, the truth that's been given to us. But then finally, we have his precious and magnificent promises. Two great words. Aren't they great qualifying words? He doesn't just say promises. His promises are precious and they are magnificent at the same time. So we have power. Power of the Holy Spirit within us. 
God's power for, uh, that we have to be able to follow him with the knowledge of him, but then look, finally, he has made promises to us. How encouraging and hopeful is that? Because it says, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Now notice it's not just one promise, it's plural. Promises. All the promises that he makes to the church, to believers, are ours. In the Old Testament, we see all the promises God makes to the people of Israel. He is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God, is he not? He is the same God that we have as we open the pages of the New Testament. So all of the promises that he makes to us as his believers, we're called the church, he will keep. If God is going to keep all of his promises to the people of Israel, God's going to keep all of his promises to us. God always keeps his promises. Do you know that God can't lie? That's one of his attributes. God can't lie. But conversely, that's all that our enemy Satan can do is lie. He doesn't tell the truth. Jesus says he's the father of lies, where God is the father and creator of all truth. So he makes promises. And we can stand on those promises. But very simply, the question is to us today, are we willing to do it? Because the, 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 um, the responsibility to grow up in Christ, to become mature believers, is on us. Are we willing to be committed to do that? As Jesus said, you want to be my disciples? You've, I, you've heard me say it a million times. And you deny yourself, you take up your cross and follow me. So all in that is this idea of growing. Are you going to grow to be the people I have called you to be? Well, how are we going to do that if we don't follow him? Right? It's like if he says, come follow me. We're like, okay. And then he, t- he starts walking and we don't follow him. How do we know where he's going and what he's going to be teaching us? We have to be following him, growing in our um, maturity, our faith and trust and knowledge of him through his power given to us as we stand on his promises. See how that process works? He calls us to grow. He says, I'll give you all the power. Get to know me to be able to do that and stand on the promises that I make to you. These beautiful promises of God, promises that we're secure in our salvation, promises that he's given us all of the tools that we need to grow in him, promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us, promises that we have the Holy Spirit within us to empower us, promises that if we ask for forgiveness as believers that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, God makes promise after promise. Are we willing to stand on those promises and walk in trust of him? And finally, we close out with this. He says, so he's given us these precious and magnificent promises so that, it's an important transition, so that what, so that what, so, so what, so what can we do? So that by them, you may become partakers, as I started with, fellowship with him in this divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Why does he end this paragraph with that? See, this responsibility to grow is ours. We've been given all the gifts, the blessings, the resources we need. But he says, listen, he says, this world has become corrupt by lust. So he's saying one more time, don't trust what the world has to offer. Don't trust your own instincts and try to do things on your own power. Trust in God, the one who has called you, the one who has saved you, the one who gives you all of the blessings you need in order to live for Jesus. Because he's saying one last time, see, the world has been corrupt and it's all because of lust. And what is lust, really? 
Why does he kind of use that word? Lust is very simply this. At its core, it's a purely selfish desire for our own pleasure and disregarding the needs of others. Lust in its purest sense is completely selfish, a desire for our own pleasure. See, sin entered the world through lust in this way. Why? Because Adam and Eve desired at that moment that they sinned something purely selfish and self-seeking. What? To have authority. When Satan tempted them and said, did God really say? He was questioning the authority of God. It's like they thought, they thought, and they said, maybe I don't have to have somebody have authority over me. I have authority on my own. It's a completely lustful or selfish desire, not thinking of their creator, God. So the more we grow as Christians, knowing God, living by grace, walking in his power, standing on his promises, the less selfish we will become, the more selfless we will be. We will think of others more. Most importantly, we will think of God and his will above our own. In Mark chapter 12, we learn about what's called the greatest commandment. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard people debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, had given them a good answer, he asked him, Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus said, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And Jesus said the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Love God, love others. The mark of a mature believer. Would you stand with me, please? In Ephesians chapter 4, it says this, let this be the, the call from God for us to wrap this all up today. Paul says this, because he's talking about how God has given the church leaders to help people grow, and he's talking about how the, the, the church is called the body of Christ, and we're all to grow. Remember how I opened the message today about how we understand human growth and how that works we need to relate that to spiritual growth, that we are to grow and be intentional about it. So he's saying, look, he's saying we're all to grow, and he says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge, there's that word again, the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You get the language he's using there. He says, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. It sounds just like what Peter is telling us. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Church, we are called to grow. To grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ through his power, through knowledge of him, and standing 
on the promises that he makes to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you so much for those promises, God. Thank you that you have shown us over and over again that you are a promise keeper. Father, we are grateful beyond words that you have given us all that we need, everything pertaining to life and godliness. God, right now, would you then give us the courage and the strength to be intentional about growing in you, to learn more about you, to grow, to grow in our love for you, Father, then, that our light in this dark and hopeless world would shine even brighter and even clearer. Lord, use us as you have sent us out to be disciples, making disciples. Lord, help us to do that this week, that we would be willing to grow. And thank you, God, that you've given us all that we need to do that. We praise you, Lord, for the encouragement, the hopefulness that we have from your word today. And may we leave with those encouraging words on our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, the one who makes it all possible. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining us today, uh, church. Go in peace and grow in the grace and knowledge.